Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, uh, brother, this is an unusual episode because I am not in Alaska today. You are not in Alaska. You are actually here at Western Avenue Baptist Church where I serve, and this has been my church home for the last two and a half years. And this was actually a kind of a last moment idea. We had a couple of people uh, from our church who listened to the podcast that said, hey, since you both are going to be here, why not do a podcast episode uh, right in front of the church. And so we uh, were scrambling for ideas after you touched down, and we finally settled on something. Yeah, it's um, so it's good to be here and uh, a little bit different temperature than uh, where I live right now. Um, I checked this morning and it is snowing uh, and the grass is nice and green and it's warm here. But um, so for today's episode, uh, I thought it might be helpful if we have a conversation, the two of us uh, centered around a pastor's heart for his people. I think oftentimes uh, a lot of people in the body of Christ aren't really sure, one, what exactly the role of a pastor is biblically. You know, folks have a lot of ideas about what we are supposed to do as pastors um, and what we can do as pastors. Uh, And then beyond that, um, you know, just answering the question, well, you know, what, what does a pastor think about when he's preparing a sermon? What does he think about when he's praying for his people? Um, and so, yeah, I thought that might be helpful. It's not something I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard a conversation centered around that uh, and thought maybe that would be edifying for the body of Christ just to kind of share our hearts uh, with, uh, you know, when, when we're our day-to-day life as pastors, what we are hoping for our people and what we want to see and those sort of things. Yeah, that sounds like a, like a great idea. And, and I think there are a lot of misperceptions out there, uh, misconceptions about what a pastor should do and a lot of bad examples of what pastors actually do. Um, but uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into our thinking and our planning, what we teach, um, the programs that we have. And, uh, and it all really centers around uh, God's plan for the church, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think it's important before we really get into sharing um, what, what our hearts are, what a pastor's heart is for his people, is to maybe start again. Again, and we have done an episode on the pastor's role, uh, but just to kind of reiterate uh, the fact that the pastor has a specific role, and that is defined by Scripture. And so there should never be a time, in fact, there is never a time where a pastor would... Um, Uh, become a pastor and not know exactly what his role is uh, even before he steps into a church or to plant a church or whatever that may be. Um, And and so I just want to let me go to a passage that you and I are very familiar with that kind of helps define our role for people because basically our heart from people, our heart for our people really is born out of this calling uh, and role defined by God. And this is very simply the role of a pastor uh, from 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. And it goes on. But there's a couple things uh, that would be helpful just to point out there. First and foremost, God defines our role as pastors. Not the culture, not the local church, um, nothing else defines our role. There are other things that we can do, but there are things that we must do, and those things are determined by God. 
Yeah, the role of the shepherd, and you'll find this all throughout Scripture. Old Testament uh, refers to shepherds often. In fact, Abraham, the Israelites, were a family of shepherds. And uh, part of the God's judgment against Israel in the Old Testament was that its leaders were not shepherding the people. And so the, the word shepherd, it might be helpful to understand that in the Greek, the word shepherd is the exact same word we use for pastor. So that's exactly what a pastor is, is a shepherd. And those who are saved, those who are saved and in Christ, are referred to as the flock. That's the, that's the sheep. So the shepherd's role is to take care of the sheep. And in Old Testament Israel, the shepherd would uh, basically lay down his life for the sheep and spend almost all of his um, hours even sleeping with the sheep in order to not only make sure their needs are met, that they're fed and they have uh, protection and cover, but they're also protecting them from, from wolves and, and other threats around them. Yeah, and that's important imagery uh, to understand. If, if you want to understand a pastor's heart and a pastor's role, then we need to understand the imagery that God uses in Scripture, the, the language of the shepherd and the sheep. And, and I think if we ponder on that and we think through that, it, it'll help folks understand why, why pastors who are pastoring biblically do what they do, um, you know, why they say the things they say, why they, te- why they teach the way they teach. Uh, because that is our primary role. Um, now, for me, that, that's a very close imagery because my grandfather happened to be a goat farmer. Um, and uh, goats are stubborn creatures. And uh, But God uses sheep. It's a similar thing. Uh, but I remember growing up on uh, every summer on my grandfather's farm, we would go visit and stay most of the summer with him. And a couple observations that are just common, and we have to understand God used that terminology, that imagery purposefully, right? Um, there were just things that he did. His life revolved around these, you know, few thousand goats that he had. Um, and he was constantly feeding them, constantly having to treat them with antibiotics, uh, warding off sickness, constantly uh, warding off coyotes and things like that. And so uh, he would go through, you know, guard dogs, uh, dogs that would, sheep dogs, right, that would just sit in the flock, these big great Pyrenees um, that would guard against those kind of things. And then on on top of that, there were times where he had to go out and uh, shoot things that were attacking the, the sheep. Um, and, and that's it, it really is very beautiful, rich uh, imagery that Scripture gives us. And so uh, when we talk about pastoring, um, that's what we have in mind as pastors because it's the language Scripture uses. And so um, if we translate that into what we really do, um, we do very similar things, right? We Scripture talks about wolves coming into the church. Uh, the whole book of Jude, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, there's an entire book, book of Jude, just before the book of Revelation. The entire book of Jude, which I think often gets overlooked, he starts with uh, an, an incredible beginning because he says, now this is Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, right? He starts in the book of Jude by saying, I wanted to speak to you about the gospel, basically, right? About things common in our faith, but I felt it necessary to ask you to contend for the faith. Mm. And then he goes on to talk about all of the many dangers that creep into the church and and they come in unaware. Um, And and so when we see those kind of things, that's where the role of the pastor comes in and he is to protect those that God has entrusted to us to shepherd. Right? Uh, God's people aren't ours, they're God's. Um, and, And the church is God's, but we are under shepherds, as it were. Uh, we're taking care of God's people. And so um, we are to guard against false doctrines coming, coming into the church. 
Um, and that's very interesting. Maybe we can just talk about, start with that one. Uh, because just like oftentimes uh, in, in, in the farming industry, wolves or coyotes or foxes may creep in if you have a flock large enough um, before everything, everyone is aware of what's going on and then it's chaos if you've ever seen uh, sheep or goats. Um, but we do the same thing. Uh, things often creep into the church and everyone in the church is not always aware of what it is or why it's dangerous. Yeah. But it's our job to, to get rid of it, right? And sometimes... Um, uh, it, it, it people misunderstand why we're doing those things, right? But that that's where our role is because we want to protect the people that God's given us to shepherd. Yeah, Psalm 23 gives us a great picture of the good shepherd, right? And that's a psalm that we often hear at memorial services and funerals. And it's written by David, David himself being a shepherd when he was called to become king of uh, Israel. And he writes down that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, meaning I, I shall not lack in anything that I need. But he talks about the fact that uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadows of death. Um, I fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the rod and staff were those devices used not only for guiding and protecting, but, but also protecting against the wolves that came from the outside. And so you bring up a good point about protecting the flock from those who are predators from the wolves from the outside. But for us, it's not, it's not physical protection per se. It's not, we're going, to, we're going to war, we're going to bring out some bats, and we're going to beat down people who are threatening the flock. But, but rather... We learn a lot just from the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy, for instance, where he tells him that the Word of God is all-sufficient, it's, uh, it's God-breathed and profitable for training and righteousness, but he goes on later to say to make sure you reprove and rebuke those who oppose sound doctrine. And so the protection that a pastor is supposed to provide for the flock is really to address those false doctrines that are creeping into the church. And Acts chapter 20 comes to mind because in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, he is about to head up to Jerusalem, but he meets with the elders from Ephesus uh, one last time. And there was no church that he spent more time with than Ephesus. In fact, Ephesus, throughout the Bible, that is the church where Paul was there, Timothy was there, uh, John is writing to them. Um, so we, we, you've got a long legacy of sound teaching. But when Paul meets with them in Acts chapter 20, what does he say? He says, there will be wolves from among you who emerge. And this is at the most well-taught church. And, and the only way to protect against those wolves is to know the truth and to refute that which is not the truth. Yeah, and I think in our day and age, um, uh, at least in many circles, uh, we would say, well, that's just not being nice, Pastor. Um, if you're talking about all these things that aren't biblical and, you know, you're, it, it's, it's not kind if we say Joel Osteen is a heretic. But I'm going to say it anyway because he is. Um, and my people are exposed to that kind of thing. And, um, and I think our, our culture's gotten so um, inundated with this idea of, uh, quote unquote, being nice, which, by the way, is different than being kind, right? Um, that oftentimes when a pastor addresses um, maybe not even heresies, but things that would lead to that, um, it can be perceived or maybe just misunderstood. But I think when you start to learn what the role of the pastor is and why he does what he does, it's helpful. Um, I, I had that verse down, Acts 20, 20 through 31, and I want to read that, or at least a portion of that, um, because again, this is the, the function and role of the pastor as is defined by God himself, right? Um, the apostle here is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And to pastors, he, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. 
right? Be on guard for yourselves and all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so we're not called by men, we're called by God, and we have a job to do, um, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And um, I know that uh, I value those who God has given me to shepherd as the precious body of Christ, and I know you do too, the bride of Christ. And so um, a lot of what I do and a lot of what you do, I'm sure, is born primarily out of our love for Christ and his bride. And so we want to protect God's bride. And if you just imagine what a good husband might be like, um, right, if I can use that language, a good husband protects his wife, even if um, his wife is unaware of the threat, of the danger, right? You don't wait until it's a problem, right? You get in front of it and you deal with it. You, you protect her whatever way you need to. Well, a pastor's role was to protect the bride of Christ. How, how much greater and more diligent should we be in that? Lest anything come in um, and, and, and dirtier garments. And so we have, we have a lot of that kind of thing. Now, maybe let's kind of turn the conversation a little bit and, and get into some specifics. And um, you can just tell us all about pastoring and, and the, insides of, the, the insights that you have in wisdom uh, and why you do everything you do. This guy's been do. in ministry longer than I have, and he's putting it all on me. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, it's my, it, I, I have that privilege in picking the topics for the podcast. But, um, but really, okay, so I don't know. May, maybe let's just pick a subject or two. And and, uh, I mean, let's start with the, the way we preach, maybe, right? So um, I think it's no big secret that uh, the way you and I preach, kind of verse-by-verse verse expositional preaching, is not common uh, in, in the pulpit, you know, just generally speaking. Today. It should be common. It should be. Yeah. Why do we do that in terms of caring for our people? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I was just thinking about in terms of how we are to protect the flock. We can't follow the flock everywhere, right? So we're, yeah. we're, we're not there to listen to everything that they hear and, and to be able to help them address things um, uh, perfectly in every single situation. You know, Ephesians chapter 4, and then of course my church uh, knows Ephesians. We spent um, over a year going through it. But in, in chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, we find that Jesus Christ gave to the church some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. So our protection of the flock is involved with how we equip you guys to deal with uh, the, the flock, how, how the flock deals with um, um, their day-to-day -day lives, the decisions that they make, the things that they hear, uh, equipping them to be able to refute uh, things as well. But in order to be able to do that, you need to know the Word. I mean, that, that's at the, at the root of it all. And think about when Jesus, at the very end, uh, before He ascends up in heaven, He meets with Peter again, and He asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you remember that? He asked Peter three times do you love me and each time uh, Peter said I do love you he would say feed my my sheep or tend my lambs feed my flock you know and, and really the way you do that is by feeding them the Word of God but the Word of God unfortunately today most people know it in sound bites they they know certain verses and my my uh, my church knows this often I use for instance Philippians 413 as a great example which says I can do all things through him who strengthens me well that verse you'd find a lot of athletes will put that on their helmet or on their face or on their clothing and whatnot but they use that verse in a way that was actually not intended so you have to know 
know the context uh, to avoid taking a verse out of its context. But in order to do that, you need to teach the context. And the best way to teach the context is really just to go verse by verse through an entire book. And so to, to understand the context of a given verse, you want to understand the verses surrounding it, but you also want to understand how that fits with the author's purpose with the entire book, whether it's 2 Timothy or whether it's the book of John or whatever. So we do verse by verse exposition because we want people to understand each of the books of the Bible the way it was intended to be understood. Yeah, and, and that's part of protecting, right, uh, the, the sheep that God's entrusted to us as pastors. I mean, I'll give you another one, especially in the Baptist world, um, which, you know, we've got a lot of listeners who are, you know, non-denominational or, you know, even Presbyterian. But especially in the Baptist world, there, there are several verses that are very commonly taken out of context. One of them is where there are two or three or more gathered, right, God there is in their midst. Well, that's very interesting. But um, if you understand that passage, it means someone is getting being put under church discipline. Yeah, so, so if if two or three or more are gathered, and and that con, and that verse is being used properly, it means someone's under church discipline. So it's not a great thing to be praying, yeah. right? Uh, if it's just a couple of you gathering, and I like uh, Vody Bauckham, who's a very good Baptist. Um, it kind of jokes about that particular verse, and he says, if you just consider logically what that would mean, that would mean that when you get up in the morning and you want to pray, you have to look around and think, oh, well, my, my wife's out of town. Well, God's not going to hear me because there's not two or three gathered. Mm. So I need to put on my robe, knock on my neighbor's uh, door at five in the morning and say, hey, you know, I just I really want to pray, but it's just me. I need two or three. Would you just pray with me so God hears our prayers? Yeah. And he kind of goes through those things, right? Just just making the point. Um, but uh, when you preach the way we do um, and, and you preach through those sections of the Bible, it helps people understand, oh, OK, that's not what I thought. Uh, it actually does mean this. And in that case, uh, to be quite frank, um, th that's one of those um, out-of-context verses that it, it, it does a little harm, right? Um, it, but there are other verses that if we misunderstand that way, we could very easily become to believe things that are even against the teaching of Christ. And we have a lot of those doctrines uh, floating around these days. You can think of critical race theory and things like that. A, a lot of people have taken passages that speak about God's justice yeah. out of context yeah. to basically say that if you have a certain skin color, you're inherently racist. Um, and, and if you want to exercise God's justice, you have to fight power structures. Yeah. But you can't find that in any passage in Scripture uh, if you're reading it rightly in context. Um, and, so, and so that's one way as pastors that we, um, why we preach that way in terms of caring for our people. Uh, let, let's talk about another one, counseling. Um, every so every pastor does counseling, and by the way, every Christian does counseling. You know, and and you, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've done counseling. Maybe not formal, but you've certainly done counseling because it looks like your best friend or your sister, your brother-in-law comes to you and says, you know, what do I do about this situation? And the moment you bring scripture into that, you've started doing counseling. Right. Um, but we we would focus on that and point people to the word. Um, and, you know, you and I would particularly ascribe to biblical counseling specifically. Uh, and, and why do we do that? Why not pull in uh, other secular ideologies and things like that? Why 
how is it caring when someone comes into our offices uh, to pull out the Bible and, and, and keep them in that rather than going to other things that are available around us? Yeah, well, you're about to preach a sermon on Psalm 19, and, we've t- and you've titled that yeah, sermon. so don't mess my sermon. <laughs> the all-sufficient word. Yeah, I won't go through that, uh, that psalm right now. But the, the word of God claims to be all-sufficient for the believer, um, that God's word, you know, Jesus Christ said, uh, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we fail to understand um, God's word if we fail to realize that God's word speaks to us during times of depression, for instance. And I often use the example of Lamentations. When you read through Lamentations, you especially get to chapter 3, those first 18 or 19 verses, uh, Jeremiah is in the midst of some of the deepest depression of his entire life. He's had a ministry of close to 50 years where he has not seen a single person repent, and now he's writing Lamentations, watching the temple of God getting burned to the ground after all of the people of Israel have been exiled uh, to, to Babylon, and, and he's depressed because he'd been calling them to repent, and if they had repented, none of this would, would have happened. But even as he, his hope is gone, what he ends up comforting himself with is really the promises of God, yeah. reminding himself that, that God is faithful. In fact, that's where we get that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. He talks about the great faithfulness of God and how his mercies, his compassions are new every single morning, um, day by day. So. Just in that moment, Jeremiah was able to reflect upon the goodness of God to get himself out of depression. And Elijah, similarly, Elijah, he had that big confrontation with the prophets of uh, Baal and brought down fire from heaven. And the next chapter, he's running for his life because Jezebel wants to kill him. And then we look at that and say, well, how, how did that happen? Well, and he goes out to the wilderness and he wants to die. That's how depressed he is. And then he goes before God and says, look, God, I'm the only one that's been zealous for you. Everyone's trying to kill me. And, uh, and God's answer to him was basically to remind them that uh, Elijah I'm in total control. Yeah. I'm in total control of your ministry. I'm in total control of who the king of Israel is, who his successor is, who the king and successor is in Syria. I'm, the, I'm in total control of even 7,000 people who have not bowed their knees to, to Baal. And, and so that was an example of how God counseled Elijah from the truth. Yeah. And, and, uh, and from there, Elijah went back and, and his ministry continued for, for quite, a, quite a while later before he was taken up into heaven. So we, we understand that the Bible is all sufficient. And when we have problems that come up in our life, the more you know the Bible, the more you can recognize that people in the Bible went through a lot of what you're going through. The, the labels that we come up with today, whether it's depression, bipolar disorder, even schizophrenia, a, a lot of times you'll find that the, the, the doctors actually don't know the cause of those things. They don't have a test that they can run to actually measure those things. Um, so they're, they're really just kind of slapping a label on and just giving you a lot of medication to try to address the symptoms. Yeah. Um, well, when we give into those kinds of ideas, we rob the scriptures uh, of the power that it has to be able to sustain us and to help us to, to glorify God. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from misunderstanding those fields. Uh, you know, as, um, as you know, I worked in the psychiatric field, and I can tell you uh, that they they do not ask the question at, at least in the treatment centers and in the psychiatric wards um, what's the root of this it's just how do we treat the symptoms yeah. right and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had after um, you know writing up uh, full reviews of patients for the psychiatrist then to read and prescribe medications simply based on my work right uh, as someone who worked in the field but not as the actual psychiatrist he would simply read my observations and and then say okay well this is what we're going to do we're going to try this medication and uh, see if they 
become less manic in their behavior. If that doesn't work, we'll switch to this medication. If that doesn't work, we'll just lower or increase the milligrams. It really is, um, that, that world really is an exper medical, medically experimental world. Uh, and that shouldn't, that shouldn't surprise us because medicine uh, develops by experimentation, right? Um, but oftentimes, Christians, rather than believing uh, that the Bible is adequate to deal with real-life issues, uh, will run to the world who then doesn't actually care about uh, the root cause. They just want to treat the symptom, right? Um, and, and so guys may, I, I, I've had a couple of conversations myself, and maybe you have too. Uh, guys may say, well, Pastor, why are you always taking me to the Bible? I, I've got real problems, right? I've got real problems. And now I think, well, did, did Jeremiah not have real problems? Did Jonah not have real problems? Right, right. Uh, did Paul not have real problems? Um, you know, certainly they did. Uh, the reason we take um, the reason we take you to the scriptures to deal even with those is first and foremost we realize that God created you, yeah. and therefore God knows more about how to deal with your issues than any man, even us, right? It's not uh, best we can. We leave our own thoughts and opinions out of what you need because it, what you need is from God, right? And we can offer suggestions based on what we know. But um, And then beyond that, we recognize, secondly, that Scripture tells us that, our, uh, that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but of principalities and powers of darkness, right? We live in a sin-sick, fallen world, and uh, the majority of our problems stem from that. And there's only one solution to sin problems, and, and that's God's Word. Um, and, and so, Pastor, why are you always taking me to, and to the Bible and spiritualizing this? Well, it's because we recognize that the solution is there. Uh, one quick thing, and then you can jump in here. Um, let me take you to, uh, I don't think anyone would deny that this was a very real, tangible issue. So you have Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, who of you listening to us think you're greater than Jesus? Let me just ask that question. None of us, right? None. <laughs> if you answered yes, turn off the podcast, go talk to your pastor, um, and he'll tell you what you need to do from there. Um, none of us were greater than Jesus. Uh, I think it is an incredible, an incredible grace of God um, that he gives us that whole scene of Jesus being tempted. Um, Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into wilderness, he's tempted, um, and Satan comes, and understand this is Jesus, real human, right, fully human, fully God, tempted by a very real Satan, right, Satan's probably not going to show up in person your doorstep, right, he's not omnipresent, um, but he does show up to Jesus, and he tempts him with, with things that would be real temptations, and what was Jesus' response? It, it wasn't philosophy of the day, yeah. right? Because there was certainly that that existed. It wasn't the science of the day. He responded, not even of his own accord, he quoted the scriptures, right? Has it not been said? Yeah. Has it not been written? And so I would, just, I, I, I would just ask you this question. If Jesus felt the need to point to scripture for very real temptation, temptation, why would we think we're greater than that need? Right, right. Um, and, and so that's why, as pastors, we constantly point people to the Scriptures first, right? Not last, 
Um, I, I don't know how many stories we both probably have of people who try everything out there finally to come to us and say, okay, I've tried everything. What else is there? Yeah. Right? And, and then God's word ultimately be, is the thing that uh, resolves the issue. Yeah, I think that's a great example um, using Jesus Christ because we're talking about God and human flesh. The, the person that, that has the power of creation and all the universe, the one who can heal and cast out demons and, and heal people of diseases and sicknesses, even bring people back to life. But in that moment when he's being tempted by the greatest tempter ever, um, he resorts to what we have access to. He uses the scriptures, and guess what? We as Christians, we have access to the, to the scriptures. He provides an example of something that we're able to do. He doesn't do something that we can't do. So it's not like he used his uh, powers as the Son of God to cast away Satan. And he could have. He could have. He could have, and he didn't. Uh, he, he relied upon the Word of God. And, and the other example I think of, too, and, and those in my church who have taken biblical counseling, you've heard me talk about, uh, for instance, the theory of depression. And there's this, uh, what's called the theory of chemical imbalance. And, and it was so well accepted across the board that we just treated it like it was law. Well, if you were to go online and just type in the theory of chemical imbalance, you're going to find a lot of secular sources now that, um, that, that deny it um, because it's never been proven. There, there's never actually been a test that people have run that can, that can show conclusively that any kind of lack of um, serotonin or, or something like that is, is the cause of, of your depression. And uh, so they, they've got other fixes and other things that they would go to now. But think about just how well received that was at one time, that that was considered to be just fact. And, and now there's a lot of dispute over that. Well, the comfort that we have in God's word is that this never changes. Right? This has been the same from the very beginning because it was written by the man who created us, by, by God himself who, who created us. He knows us better than anyone else. He knows our problems. And, and when we do have sin issues, when we have spiritual issues that are really dragging us down, man-made wisdom, and really when you look at the fields of psychology and psychiatry, they don't start with any basis uh, of the Bible or God or anything that the Bible says. In fact, they, they kind of take that mindset that anything can be cured with medicine or anything can be cured with therapy, but if you have a real spiritual issue, maybe something that's a result of sin, they have no ability to assess that. Well, in fact, modern-day psychology was developed on the premise that uh, there's not spirit, yeah. right? Eliminated the spirit man and God. And so, I mean, the, the, the foundation of what we have today um, denies, you know, the fact that we are spirit beings. And so you can imagine if that's true, right? Uh, if, if, if it's built on that, then they'll never touch on these very real issues. Yeah, and, and they, don't, um, they don't acknowledge the fact that we are sinners by nature. And we know this from those of you who are parents and you raise up your kids. You put two little babies in a room and you put a toy in between And they're them. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> what, and what are they going to do? They're going to fight over that toy. So we see the nature of sin from a very young age. And, and we know the sin nature, that, that's, that's inherent in every single person that, that lives. And if you, if you were to spoil a child and give that child everything that they want growing up, guess what's going to happen to that child? That child's going to become incredibly self-entitled, very narcissistic. They're, that child's not going to be able to adjust to society when they grow up. In fact, we see a lot of that today, don't we? I mean, look around society and we see a lot of people that don't know how to take no for an answer. Um, so we, we understand the nature and the reality of sin, but 
psychology really starts off with the premise that man is inherently good. Mm -hmm. Man is inherently good and you are made evil by your environment. You're made evil by outside influences and it's really, mm -hmm. uh, you have to disconnect yourself from those influences and, and reach back into your inner self and find that good self rather than the fact that you're a sinner and you're, you're in the need of salvation, you're in need of forgiveness of sins that only Jesus Christ can provide. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about um, just some of the things that uh, each of us pray for and think of our, our, our people specifically, um, just to give, you know, we, we've been speaking in generalities, but bring it down just between the two of us so people maybe have some example. Um, and, it, you know, every congregation is a little bit different, right? So uh, I live in Alaska, and... Um, you know, if you guys here get a snowstorm, you probably aren't coming to church on Sunday. Um, if we get a snowstorm, everybody better be there. <laughs> Uh, you know, because this is just life there. Um, you know, hop on a moose, and I'm only kidding, but um, <laughs> but we get there, right, because it's life. Um, our environment is quite a bit different. We live in a fishing community, and so illustrations that I may use in sermons would be quite different than the ones that you may use in sermons. And we see this in how Paul deals with uh, different people in different places he's in. Um, but every pastor uh, has similar desires for his people because they're born out of scripture. And so uh, like for, for me, for instance, every day we are a church plant, so we're very small. Um, so at this stage, uh, every day I pray for every individual in our church personally. Um, and, and here are just some of the things that as a pastor, I'm praying for them. Um, I, I know them. Um, and so I'm praying that they would grow in the areas that I see they're lacking, right? Maybe not sinful, but just need to mature in. And so some of those areas are things like their personal holiness, right? I want to see the people in my church love God more than they love the world, love the things of God rather more than they love the things of the world. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy some things in the world. There are a lot of common graces. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I want to see my people um, who would be able to look at a television show, for instance, and say, you know what, that's not God honoring. I'm not going to watch that. Uh, and, and maybe they get to season two. Uh, we, we had this conversation, right, of sometimes uh, uh, TV shows will come out and, um, you know, they'll be, they'll be good and clean the first season, then the next season they'll, they'll be bad. What I want to see in my people is the, the love for Christ and his work on the cross and his holiness that would get to season two and see that they've changed a bunch of things and be willing to say, you know what? I love God more than I love this show. This is an honoring. I'm going to stop watching that. Um, that's what I want to see in my people. We'll move on a little bit, but yeah, no, I, I think that's a, that is a great example. And when we talk about personal holiness, is like you said, uh, loving Christ more than you love the world. And we as pastors, obviously, we're, we're shepherding the flock. And, and from the outside, it can look like what we're doing is just trying to drive people, more people into the church. So we just want more people in the church. We want more people giving money. We want more numbers and, and this and that. And, and really, the, the fact of the matter is this. The number of attendees in church really doesn't matter. 
Um, it's really the, the the depth of spiritual understanding that's there within the flock. Um, are we are we putting to death? Are we mortifying the sins in our life? Are we becoming more like Christ, challenging one another, spouses to spouses, parents to children, children to parents, uh, brothers to sisters, sisters to brothers within the community, within the body of Christ? Are, are we are we edifying one another when we're around each other? Do we encourage one another to be more like Christ? And and so yeah, the personal holiness and and the behavior and the love for the body is a huge part of that. Um, the, the other thing I pray for, though, also is just that uh, obviously on Sundays I'm going to preach the word expositionally just as you are um, but I'm praying that they're going to be in the word as well um, but that they're doing their devotions they're um, they're meditating upon what they learned from the sermon that week they might even go back and listen to it again right uh, to to maybe firm up some areas that they weren't qu- quite clear in that's what every pastor wants to hear that you listen to the sermon a second <laughs> time during the week that's right <laughs> and, it, and it's not and it's not about us yeah not because of us yeah, yeah. It's, it's not about us but because we're bringing truths that we think you guys need to know. Last week I preached on John chapter 8 and Jesus made the statement that if you continue in my word then you are truly disciples of mine. And and he really emphasizes a truth that's not really being emphasized in a lot of churches which is the connection to us being disciples of Christ and the fact that disciples of Christ make themselves known by continuing on in the words of Jesus Christ. And by continuing on it means by obedience to what the what the scriptures uh, reveal, so in in our church and in all churches, I'm sure, but in our church we have prayer lists that go out every single week, and and we certainly have a lot of people going through physical infirmities, um, a lot of people who are facing end of life kind of issues, people who have loved ones who are sick and all that, and, and especially when COVID came through, a lot of people were sick, so we, we certainly want to pray for that. Um, Paul says in Ephesians six eighteen, pray at all times for all the saints uh, with all perseverance, right? So we want to pray for those things, but first and foremost, even more important than your physical health, and this might disappoint some people, even more important than your physical health, I want to know that spiritually you're responding to it in the right way. Because if your physical health never gets better, but spiritually you're growing, that you're giving glory to God, you're seeing God's sovereignty in all of that, um, then I know as a shepherd, um, I've done my job because God is glorified even in that trial. But if, for instance, you get better physically, but spiritually you're not walking, you're maybe drifting further away from the church, well, you know, then my heart is really broken. Um, it's great that you're healed physically, but we're here as pastors, not so much for the physical, but for the spiritual. Yeah. And like you said, we certainly do, you know, we certainly do care that, that people are physically healthy. But we realize that, that it, it is a fallacy to believe that you're going to keep your health. Um, right? We age. Our bodies get old. Things start breaking. Um, you know, things start creaking that never creaked before and all that kind of thing. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the reality for us is that um, one day when you die, and you will most assuredly die, you're going to stand before Christ. You're going to stand before God, and you're going to be judged. And what I hope is that you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's most important to me, and I know that's most important yeah. to you, and it would be to every pastor. And, and so we don't, want to, um, we don't want to ignore physical needs, right? Absolutely, we want to take care of those things. Yeah. Um, but if, if your spiritual health um, is, in some cases, non-existent, but if it's suffering, 
that is far more important. I, I love the story of Joni Erickson Tata, and you know who that is, right? And some of you will know. If you don't know her story, I, I would encourage you to, to look it up. Um, she is a lady who was injured. I think, was it a swimming accident? Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember the details. Yeah. But in any case, um, she, she was injured uh, as an adult in life and ended up in a wheelchair. And, and she'll spend the rest of her life there. You listen to her, t- her story, and she will tell you um, how, much, h- how much she loves God as a result of what he's done in her through her accident. It's not that she's glad, per se, uh, that she's handicapped now, yeah. um, but she's come to understand how much more valuable her spiritual life is. And we as pastors understand that too. Um, and, and, and so we, we want to prepare people for the afterlife. You're only going to live here on earth for a short time. You're going to live somewhere else for all of eternity. Uh, and we want that to be with the saints. I think as just personally, not even as a pastor, but just personally, I mean, that passage in Matthew is, is the most scary passage, I think, in the Bible. Jesus says himself, many, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do X, Y, and Z in your name? And I just want you to consider that for a moment uh, if you're listening to the podcast, because these are people who thought they knew Jesus. These are people who not only thought they knew Jesus, but they actually did things for Jesus. So they look just like you and I. They came to the church. They served. They did other things. Um, and in the end, Jesus says, well, what does he say? He says, I, I forgot you I, or you I, walked I never, away. I, I never knew you. For, Depart me from me. For I never yeah. knew you. And so as pastors, um, I, I, I don't want to see anyone fall under that no. condemnation. Um, and, and so that's why we take guys to the scriptures repeatedly. And we're asking about, you know, what's your walk like? Um, you know, that's our job, right? Let me read another passage for you from Titus. Um, it, it, it is the pastor's role biblically to exhort people to holiness. Titus 2.15 says, These things speak and exhort and uh, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So this is Paul uh, to Titus. He's just given him a, a list of things. It is the pastor's role um, to get into your personal life, (laughs) your spiritual life, um, as it were. It's not to be nosy. It's not to be prying. It's because we want to see you holy. Um, And so uh, I I like to, I don't have, no one has to come to me in the church and say, hey, pastor, is uh, this TV show okay? I don't want that, right? Uh, Please don't, uh, you know, if you have genuine questions, we would want you to come to us. uh, But there's no expectation that what we would rather hear um, is, you know what, Uh, we could just tell from the Word of God that this wasn't a good thing and so we didn't watch it. Or we've changed what we're reading or we've changed, you know, X, Y, and Z. Not at of legalism, okay? Um, and I think we start talking about personal holiness, a lot of guys go instantly to legalism. Let me take you back to the very words of Jesus again. You know you love me if you obey my commandments. Yeah. That is the words of Christ himself. Now, he's not speaking of perfection there, so don't misunderstand that. Um, but we are to be holy. I mean, Peter, right? First uh, Peter, be holy as yeah. I am holy. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're concerned about those things for your sake. I, I promise you that if you live a life striving to be faithful disciples of Christ, which means you want to look like Him, you want to act like Him, you want to think like Him, 
um, the struggles you have in this world, and I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that you won't have struggles because that, that's foolish and untrue, but you will find a peace and a joy and ability to walk through some of the hardest things that you could walk through in life if your spirituality is strong, if you've been walking in faithfulness, yeah. obedience, and holiness. And that's what we want to see. Yeah, and let me give you a real scenario. So I, I know a lot of people, especially as they age, you mentioned it, Things don't work as well as they do. Uh, well, we don't have the same strength. We may not even be able to get to church. And I have counseled uh, people that are going through some real physical issues that prevents them from coming every single Sunday. And I've heard them say, you know, Pastor, I, I wish I had more strength. I would want to serve. I want to do this and I want to do that. And I can't do that. And he's so disappointed that he's not able to do the things that he would like to do. And one of the points I try to get across is, is look, the situation that you're in is by the sovereign hand of God. Um, if you're not able to make it for physical reasons, I understand. Now, there's not going to be an excommunication process over that. And thank, thankfully, we have a live stream that you can tune into. But wherever you are, even if you're homebound, um, no matter what your situation is, you can always glorify God. In fact, you have the same opportunity to glorify God as someone who is fully healthy, even though you can't do the same things. Well, how is that possible? Well, if you are meditating upon God, if you are sharing Christ with people. You know, I've seen people who are on their deathbed who are terminal, and the nurses come and ex express uh, sympathy and compassion because of what this person is going through. And the person will grab the nurse and say, God does not make mistakes. Now, let me share with you Jesus Christ. Right, So th those are opportunities where no matter what your situation is, you have the same opportunity to be able to glorify God. Maybe you have more time to spend in the Word or to listen to messages or, or sermons um, or to uh, write letters to people that, uh, that share these spiritual truths that you're picking up. So that, that is our overriding focus, whether people are actually able to make it into the church or not. And of course, we want people to be in the church as much as possible. But uh, to glorify God means that you trust in Him in all circumstances, regardless of whether you can make it in or not. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're able, you should be, right? I mean, that's just obedience to, to the Scripture. Um, I know we're getting close to time here, uh, but let me read you a couple more passages uh, just to kind of give you a feel for um, the, the pastor in terms of what he understands his role to be biblically. You go to Titus 3, 1 through 2. It says, remind them, okay, them being the ones you shepherd, right? So we are to remind our people um, to do what? To be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all men. It is our role as pastors to remind our people to do these things. Um, and it's there clear in the scripture. Let me go to another one. Uh, Titus 1, 9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. All right, this is the teachings of scripture. So that... He will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So it is all of our responsibility to be able to know to, to know and something we don't like to do in our culture, refute those who contradict it. Yeah. Now, I think there's uh, right ways to do that, right? Uh, being a jerk, we have often said, is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, so we can do those things uh, with gentleness and kindness and all those things. Um, but that's our role as pastors is to encourage people to be all of these things. You go to, uh, a fee, you know, you guys did Ephesians. We're actually preaching through Ephesians now. We just started chapter 4. You know, chapter 4 in the first couple of verses, and you get that list of stuff that looks like a 
worthy walk, right? That's the pastor's job is to help you walk a worthy walk. Um, and, and I'm sure you got this in, in your sermon. I won't reiterate it, but for the guys listening to us, if you go to Ephesians chapter four, uh, that word, uh, that, that phrase worthy of the walk there literally comes from a word that means as though balancing on scales. And so the idea is that your profession, your Christianity is on one side of the scales and that your walk is on the other side of those scales and that they balance. That, that's literally what that word uh, there in the Greek means. And so it's an incredible picture and it's our role as the pastor uh, to equip you every way we can to encourage you to be holy, to encourage you to love one another, um, to, to aid you in what things are or not holy by pointing you to scripture so that you can rightly judge for yourselves. And so, um, and, and we're right there with you, right? We, we have uh, an incredible grace given to us by God in that uh, it, it's our job to be in the word um, more than most people can weekly. Uh, and, and so that's a blessing to us, but we want to help pass that on to the people we shepherd so that, again, uh, at the end of the day, when you stand before your Lord and Savior, um, one for us as pastors, we get to hear that we did our jobs well, but you get to stand before the Lord one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, do you have any remarks before we wrap up here? No, I, I think that's all well said and uh, um, enjoyed this uh, first time doing a podcast face-to-face in person. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Well, I hope that you guys benefited a little bit from hearing our hearts uh, and hearing why we do what we do, um, pointing you to the scriptures. Uh, if you're listening uh, to the podcast, uh, understand that um, your pastor is very simply, if he's a good one, a biblical one, just trying to help you become disciples of Christ. So that when people look at you, they see something of Christ in you. They see that you're different from the world. They, they see that you speak differently. They see that you dress differently. They see that you enjoy different things, that, that somehow you're not like them, that, that they can see something of holiness in you. And, and that's what good pastors want to see in their people. And we're not perfect, so grant your pastor grace, right? We, we mess up too, and we sin too, and we have to come and say, will you forgive me? But that's our heart. And not only is it our heart, understand that um, good shepherds have the fear of God in them because we actually have to answer to God yeah. for whether or not we actually do those things. So for us, it's not an option, yeah. right? We, we love God, and so we care for you. Um, but that's our heart. So thank you guys for joining us here in the church this morning. If you're with us in person and if you're uh, with us just listening on the podcast, uh, we hope that this is helpful. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.